This week, a little bit of info on what to expect from the New Year's and Christmas Day episodes of NXT. I figured out what to do with Cesaro and Rob Bartlett is on the show. What a time to be alive. Happy holidays. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. All right, all right, we're back. I'm sorry. Can I tell you I'm sorry? I apologize. It's always nice to know that there are people out there that care, but yes, I apologize. I was not here for you on Thursday, not Sam Thursday this week. A lot was going on. It's a very busy time trying to tie up all the loose ends before the holidays and whatnot. I still will never go a week without giving you a show. I promise you that. I don't think we've done that. I think since the beginning of this show, over five years ago at this point, 270-whatever episodes, we've never gone a week without a show. And you know if I could have given you a Thursday Not Sam Thursday, I would have. Don't forget the first Thursday Not Sam Thursday, I think it was the first one, was taped in an airport while people walked by me like I was a maniac. So look, I go above and beyond. I've taped uh, one of these podcasts in the maternity ward of a hospital after my uh, son was born, in the hotel room of a bathroom in Amsterdam. Uh, I mean, all over the place. Wherever we need to get it done, we get it done. That's the point. But we couldn't get it done on Thursday, not Sam Thursday this week. However, we've got a great show for you this week. Don't worry. I'm here for you over the holidays. I know the holidays are a time when... You're going, yeah, a lot of people are off, but the fact is that we're off. There's still so much time to consume content. I know I've got my my holiday content. You know it's the holidays when I'm at home, and yesterday I was like, you know what I should do? I should probably watch the Royal Rumble match from 2005. That's when you know, okay, you're on, you're on holiday leave. You got some time off because you got some time on your hands to do this. And you try to convince your kids, like, oh, look at this. It's 2005 WWE. This is the good stuff, right? I mean... I think 2005 was the year. Just a, well, a weird one. Daniel Pewter getting the crap kicked out of him. And Vince McMahon, that's the beginning of the match. Then the end of the match, Vince tearing his quads because they screwed up the finish, John Cena and Batista. My God, and you look at this, and what, 14, 15, 15 years later, because that's the beginning of 2005, if that's the right year I'm thinking of. 15 or so years later, Batista's going into the Hall of Fame, and John Cena is in the discussion, at least, for Rushmore. An amazing time. Certainly an amazing time. I'll tell you why, though. On Thursday, uh, I was doing some some work that you guys are going to enjoy. Um, I will tell you, and as of Thursday, I can tell you, that NXT will be on USA on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Special episodes, both Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, as usual. But definitely watch those two shows because your boy will be featured. Scoops Roberts is back at NXT, and I'll be on both the Christmas Day shows and the New Year's Day shows taking a prominent role. So make sure you're watching uh, both of those shows. Support everything that we're doing here. Um, And maybe I'll get into that a little bit more in the state of wrestling. Talk about NXT. Talk about fake punch memes. (laughs) But before we get to any of that, uh, this week's guest, brand new interview. No recycled material, none of that. You know, spend your holidays with us. 
Rob Bartlett is my guest this week. Talk about a blast from the past. Rob Bartlett is somebody who I was fascinated with before I got to know. The only reason I know Rob Bartlett, like know him personally, is because Rob spent a couple of decades, I think, as the uh, comedian on Imus in the Morning, on the Don Imus radio show, which is one of the biggest radio shows of all time. But being a guy who's in radio, you know, our paths would cross. Imus here in New York, broadcasting out of New York when I was uh, doing stuff with Opie and Anthony, even my own show. I, I probably met Rob Bartlett at this point probably like 10 years ago through the radio. And we've had discussions about the fact that for some reason, it's just this little asterisk in history for the first 13 weeks of Monday Night Raw, when that show debuted on the USA Network, the show that would change wrestling forever, Rob Bartlett was the color commentator. The original commentary team for Monday Night Raw was Vince McMahon, Macho Man Randy Savage, and Rob Bartlett. Rob Bartlett, completely unfamiliar with the product, Certainly never done any wrestling broadcasting before. I don't know that he'd ever actually seen any wrestling <laughs> before. Um, but he got the call. He came in. He did his damnedest. And, and since that day, he really only gets discussed when those worst commentators in history of wrestling lists ever come out. He's never been invited back to do like a Raw reunion show. He's never been invited back to do a little bit. They don't even really talk about Rob Bartlett when they talk about the history of Monday Night Raw. Uh, and again, I guess, you know, you've got a show that's now, it'll be, what, 27 years this year it's been on the air, if I'm doing my math right, carry the four, I think 27. Rob Bartlett got 13 weeks of those 27 years. But look, he's got a huge place in history, and I've always been interested, you know, I, I've kind of, over the years, just gotten some anecdotal stories here and there about Rob's time with the WWE, because he certainly remembers it. You know, it certainly isn't, oh, yeah, I forgot I did that. Like, he absolutely knows that it was a big-ass deal. Uh, but I had the opportunity to talk to Rob uh, and and really get an in-depth, get the entire story on how the whole thing ended up happening. And that is what I'm sharing with you today on this holiday special of Not Sam Wrestling it's the Rob Bartlett story in Rob Bartlett's own words. Now, uh, Rob Bartlett is on Twitter, so he's still very active in entertainment. If you check out, I believe it's, um, I'm looking it up right now, The Robbio. Probably should have written it down before we started, but it's just me here. Um, yeah, The Robbio, T-H-E-R-O-B-I-O. The Robbio, R-O-B-I-O. You can follow him on Twitter. Trust me, follow him on Twitter and just tweet him, tweet him memes, Tweet him gifts of himself on Raw. Ask him questions. He loves talking about his time in WWE. So if you want to catch up with him at all, hit him up on Twitter. He's very anxious for that. And uh, and talk to him about the fact that you remember. Just tell him that you remember those 13 weeks. Just Because if you're around the same age as me, that first year of Monday Night Raw is etched into your memory. Etched in. We all remember the... Ric Flair, Mr. Perfect career ending match. We all remember the one, two, three kid pinning Razor Ramon. We all remember uh, Marty Jannetty surprising Shawn Michaels. We all remember all of that stuff. You know, all of it. Hulk Hogan returning. 
and doing the promos leading up to WrestleMania 9. Uh, you know, so much happened in 93. And one of those things was Rob Bartlett. I talked to Rob Bartlett this week about his time in WWE, how it came about, what happened, and how it ended. That's this week's interview on Not Sam Wrestling. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. I met Rob Bartlett a long time ago through radio. At least 10 years. At least 10 years ago, right? Me at the time doing Opie and Anthony, you at the time doing I Miss. But my first uh, uh, awareness <laughs> of Rob Bartlett wasn't through the radio. It was when I was a wee lad of like, I guess I was probably nine years old. Wow. Yeah, I would have been nine because okay. it was January mm -hmm. of 1993. Mm-hmm. And I was getting ready to see Vince McMahon, mm -hmm. Macho Man Randy Savage, mm -hmm. and Bobby the Brain Heenan mm -hmm. tell me that this new show from the Manhattan Center was going to be uncut, uncooked, and uncensored, which you probably have PTSD hearing <laughs> hearing that phrase uttered over and over again. What, what, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> but Bobby the Brain Heenan was being uh, unceremoniously removed from the building as uh, Rob Bartlett... You entered the WWE as an unfamiliar face to the wrestling audience. It was still called the WWF at the time. That's right. Uh, as the commentator for Raw. Mm -hmm. You lasted about 13 weeks, is 13, that right? 13 weeks. 13 solid weeks. 13 solid weeks. You are ranked on lists of commentators, not... Worst commentator. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm proud to be on a list of... I'm not number one, though. I got to like do something so I can get the number one spot. Right. Yeah. I well, you got to make a comeback, obviously. I guess. I guess. They didn't invite me to the 25th anniversary. So. They didn't. No. They, you, no raw reunions. No. no, you, no. You're kind of erased from no. the history altogether. No. So let's start at the beginning, because okay. this is a journey that has always fascinated me, and I've always gotten such a kick out of the fact that we've gotten to know each other through radio. Mm-hmm. And this was really, there was only, like for years, I would sit there going, those 13 weeks were an anomaly. They really were. Who is this Rob Bartlett? <laughs> you know, what, what was that? What the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, let's start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it takes place in 92, since it was so early in 93 when it begins. How do you end up? at Monday Night Raw at the very beginning of this show that has become the landmark television show for professional wrestling. It, um, I met Vince, Vince McMahon, at a charity event. It was for the Connecticut Special Olympics. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was one of those dinners, and then they would have me do my act. I'd go in and, and entertain. He was sitting at the table right up front, and he was wearing a three-piece corduroy Suit. That's very warm. Oh, no, no. In peach. It was a peach-colored <laughs> three-piece corduroy suit. Okay. And I did 20 minutes mm -hmm. on the suit, just breaking his balls about the suit. And just, I'd do a bit, and then I'd come back to the suit. And just, did so, he look like he was enjoying it? It seemed to. Okay. I mean, um, so the following week, I guess, or the following two weeks, um... I get a phone call from, I'm his secretary in the office. She said, um, Vince McMahon called. He needs to speak with you. I'm thinking, oh, what, what now? Is he pissed at the, off? At the time, by the way, you're working for Imus in the morning. Right. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of you know the show. 
gigantic New York radio show, but gigantic radio show across the country, syndicated yeah. to 150 different markets. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the biggest radio show right. in the world. Yeah. 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 And um, he, I got his number and I called him and I said, he said, well, uh, I just wanted you to know that uh, I really liked what you did the other night, even though it was all at my expense. <laughs> and I'm sorry you didn't like my peach suit. <laughs> I'm laughing, yucking it up. Goes, so I'm doing something new, something different. It's going to be a live show every week. And uh, I'm going to do it from New York. I'm going to do it from Man- Manhattan. And I think it might be interesting if we have you come in as a commentator, as a color commentator, you know, because you're a comic, you can throw in funny stuff. And, you know, I didn't really know anything about wrestling at the time. Mm-hmm. My son, who was probably eight or nine himself at the time, he was a huge wrestling fan. So I said, yeah, let's, let's try it. And now, so, did you tell him on the phone, look, I don't know anything about wrestling? Or did you just say, yeah, let's give it a whirl? I, yeah, I think I must have mm-hmm. because I was concerned that that was going to be an issue. Then, <laughs> yeah, as, <laughs> as, as it would be. Exactly. Yeah. And then so I started rehearsing mm-hmm. up in Stanford at the facility. Right, so they bring you to their TV studio in Stanford. Right, right. They had the, their big building, and then across the other side of 95, they had in a um, it's like an office park, whatever. They yeah. had like a warehouse, and that was where they did all their video stuff. And we watched matches. And who did you rehearse with? I, I rehearsed with Vince and Macho Man Randy Savage. I mean, that's amazing. It was... Even I knew... Macho Man, because I had taken my son to see him at Madison Square Garden. Right. Um, how how were you received by Macho Man? I got to tell you, I have nothing but the best, fondest memories of the people who worked at that show, at that place, mm-hmm. the entire network. Every single person could not have been nicer. They were all really, really... Macho Man was a sweetheart. He wanted to do whatever he could to help me that's amazing because you know, it does let me know if you need to you need me to jump in here brother whatever you want to do can i lead you into something i want to bring up something and you can jump in i mean he was really giving really giving i mean you can make fun of me you know as long as you make fun of hogan too you gotta... <laughs> <laughs> um and so we would watch these matches uh-huh. you know, recorded matches and do play by play right and i could tell from the beginning this was gonna be a fucking disaster. This is <laughs> okay. gonna be. This is just a train wreck waiting uh-huh. to happen. And I could kind of tell Vince thought too. But God bless him, mm-hmm. the PT Barnum for our age, Vince McMahon. He wanted to do something different, and he believed in it, and he he wanted to go. Wanted and to I go. I also think there's a part of Vince McMahon that is aware of something. Sometimes a disaster is good, and maybe this will be right. one of those good disasters. Right. That Right. I think that, that it switched from him thinking it was going to be great to have a comedian to, I think my, it might be great to have a comedian who bombs every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's. But I mean, is there anything anywhere else in television where the head of, of this giant company is starting this whole new way of doing television? They're going to present their product to a theoretically an entirely new audience, right? Mm-hmm. They're trying to pick up this big mainstream audience now. They're spending, they're making this huge investment to do it live. And Vince is the, I think Vince is the only person that would sit there and go, 
Let's just do something completely out of the box that might not work yeah. at all. Yeah, I mean, just to try. Took, Why not? Took a chance. I mean, I I was with the wrestling um, world right in between the two times it was the hugest. Mm-hmm. It was <laughs> yeah. It was right after the whole Cindy Lauper rock and wrestling rock and wrestling thing, and just before it went back up and became what it is today. Yeah. So I was like in that little valley, right in between. <laughs> right. Um, but he was also doing other things too, and we had been in discussions about, you know, he said, well, maybe you can do like a show of your own recorded stuff. Because I was thinking maybe we'd do like a Saturday Night Live, a half hour Saturday Night Live with the wrestlers. Right. You do sketches, and then I thought I I wrote a pilot for uh, a sitcom mm-hmm. um, called The Turnbuckles. It was about a family of wrestlers, mm-hmm. you know, and they had a, you know they slept in a ring and, and that kind of stuff. And so did you kind of like? When you got in there, you started doing your rehearsals, you started going, okay, this is going to be a real thing. Mm-hmm. Did part of you start to really enter into that world now where, like, you're writing stuff? Like, it's just – did it just I start learned, entering I, your brain? Yeah, I learned a lot of stuff, and I was I was eager to figure out a way that I could promote myself through this gig. I could raise myself to some other So that wrestling or, fans now want to see you do comedy. Right. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe I could actually do comedy programming for them or whatever. Yeah. And he had already hired, I think, Todd Pettengill to do that Saturday recap show. Right. And I think it was time to get radio people. I think he was exploring that idea. And, and you know, Vince being an East Coast guy, I'm sure the fact that Todd was on a giant show on PLJ. Right. You're on a giant show on IMIS. Right. I think that you know, yeah, I, I think that he he was. Look, apparently, if you look at who's on WWE t- TV today, mainly me. Uh huh. He's got an affinity for radio people. There you go. There you go. Yeah, and so we did it that that Monday night. We would do from Manhattan Center three Mondays a month, and one Monday it wasn't available, and we would do it from the hockey arena up in Poughkeepsie. The Mid-Hudson Civic Center. The Mid-Hudson Civic Center. Yes. We would, do, we would do once a month, we would be at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, which was where I had two of my favorite episodes. Well, I'll ask you for sure. Uh-huh. But so so already I'm interested because you never know when you go in if if Randy Savage, for example, is going to be like, who's this new guy? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I put my life into this business. Mm-hmm. And they just hired some guy from the radio to come make fun of it. People mm-hmm. can take it the wrong way. Wrestlers are sort of protective about their space. Right. And I also wonder if there wasn't I'm surprised that even Bobby Heenan was not going like, Hey, who's this guy coming in and taking my stick? Bobby Heenan again could not be nicer, more helpful. It's amazing. He was just a sweetheart of a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, backstage, it's just every time you spoke with him. No matter how much time had elapsed between the last time you saw him, it was like you just saw him the day before. He was always upbeat, always friendly, you know, always, you know, big handshake, a hug. I mean, he was a really, really great guy. As a comedian, mm-hmm. do you think that Bobby Heenan could have been Absolutely. in your world? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you wouldn't know it from that opening show all the stuff they made him do he's trying to break in yeah like, dresses up as the rabbi he dresses dressed, in the dress dressed up as a rabbi because i found out later on uh-huh. vince thought i was jewish <laughs> so, he, so he had bobby the brain <laughs> dress up as a rabbi right supposed to be my uncle or something like that and then they they made him dress up in drag he was trying to use disguises to get past sean mooney sean and get, Mo- get in the yeah. get in the manhattan center so yeah. he could be a part of the show yeah yeah, so but but he was really funny on his own. Yeah. So 
when you go, you've done your, you've rehearsed now, you at least know what it feels like to call matches. Not mm-hmm. live, but to you, right. you've experimented with chemistry a little bit. Right. You've gotten a little bit familiar with the product, at least more so than you had started. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the feeling like when you're standing there, 8.58, 8.59 p.m., getting ready to go live? Mm-hmm. You're in the Manhattan Center, and you're like, oh, my God, we're about to do this live TV show. And I do you still at that point go... I'm pretty sure I shouldn't be here. You know, it's like anything else, you know, like stand-up comedy. It's like, mm-hmm. You always have that little moment of doubt before mm-hmm. you get the first laugh, you know. But it was so exciting. Right. And, you know, they had the siren go off and the crowd was crazy over the top and could not wait for it to start, you know. It was huge. And and then the first match, I think, had Yokozuna, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And I know that, yeah, was it... I know Yoko and Coco Beware had a match on that first show. Okay, so that might, must have been it. Yeah. I think, I think that might have been the first match. And I just remember one of the first things I said. Uh-huh. Um, oh, that's one big Oriental, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> to the point now where I think if there's a clip of it anyway, they've, they've actually like bleeped. That. <laughs> yeah. And then there was another, I, I compared his ass to something. He's got an ass like a, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, and you hear this, this is like a pause, uh-huh. and Vince goes, "Thank you, Rob." And, <laughs> and it was then I thought, "Oh, this is not gonna go well. This is just not gonna go well." That's when the, the asshole starts to pucker, and you think, "How how long is this show? It's just an hour." Right, right. Yeah. And then you're looking down at the clock, and you're like, "We're three minutes in." Yeah, I would have thought thirty. Right. Okay, exactly. here we go. Exactly. <laughs> um, so did you did you write? Before the show, knowing who was going to be in there, and or was it, you know, I, I just kind of be observational and there would there would be a a, a meeting mm-hmm. uh, um, before, you know, like a production meeting with all the wrestlers and the crew and Vince. Um, they would have a grilled chicken and and steamed vegetable buffet, mm-hmm. and um, he would talk over what was going to happen, what the matches were going to be, who was going to do what, um. But there was never any direction for me. It was he just wanted me to, to just go to and be you, go and be me. And so I would try and get an idea of where things were going, so I could create lines in my head mm-hmm. that I would have. Um, but I soon discovered that because wrestling is so over the top, yes, you can't really make it funny because it's so over the top. I mean it's it's very serious and you right. would think it would be easy to to poke fun at it but it's really not. It's you nope. can't yeah, because first of all these guys are in unbelievable shape. The right. stamina and all that kind of stuff. But then just the idea of you have this 500 pound Samoan guy you know what are you gonna do? Fat jokes, but it's just you know. It's so but you're doing that in the like you're saying a fat joke, but in your head you're going like this is pretty incredible what I'm seeing I know, here. Exactly. Like, this is it's pretty unbelievable yeah. that he's able to move around like this. Yeah, but that's not what you're there to do. No, I mean you've got an ass like an aircraft carrier. This just, <laughs> yeah. just no, just and then now did they ever come to you and go like, all right, Rob, this is more of a serious moment because the intricacies of wrestling storytelling right. are like there are moments where. It's just kind of maybe an exhibition of a character, and you can get in a joke on that character. Or it's an entertaining segment. There are other segments where, even if it feels over the top, 
we need our audience to take this seriously mm -hmm. because this story drives to this match, which will drive over here. Yeah, I, I think that there probably were, you know, he wanted to defuse the situation. If he wanted something to go a particular way, yeah. he'd definitely say something, mm -hmm. um, you know, ahead of time just so I would know to shut the hell up. <laughs> um, but then I started just doing IcoPro. <laughs> drop-ins. <laughs> I just bring up Ico Pro and, and eat the bars on camera. That's what it degenerated into at, it, at be, the second week. Is that was that somebody's advice, or did you just think these Ico Pro commercials are so ridiculous? I have to bring them up as often as possible. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. So that was <laughs> yeah. basically what I was doing. And, you gotta want it. I know, and, and they were awful. It was like. <laughs> Turkish taffy that went bad, but I would chew on them like you know the greatest thing in the world. You know, I tell you that was one of they did the raw twenty fifth anniversary, which again conspicuously you were not there, mm -hmm. but they did part of the show from the Manhattan Center, mm -hmm. and the part of the show they did from the Manhattan Center as a fan, what what I freaked out for was that they had an Ica Pro flag. Oh, wow. And I was like, this is it. This, this is, is it. amazing. I'm back. I'm a kid again. That's right. Now, where's Bartlett? Yeah. Where's, <laughs> where's, they have the product, but where's the fat guy in the, in the tuxedo? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of ways you can support this podcast, Not Sam Wrestling. Of course, going on iTunes and leaving a review and a five-star rating. Huge helps. Of course, making sure you click that subscribe button on wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Hitting that subscribe button helps us a lot. Telling your friends helps us a lot. But engaging and ingesting all the content that we have helps us tremendously. And one of the best ways you can do that beyond just listening to the podcast is taking part in the visual portion of the podcast over at youtube.com slash not sam wrestling youtube.com slash not sam wrestling is the brand new youtube home of everything that we do here on not sam wrestling i started making my presence known on youtube way before i was doing a wrestling podcast and have many many interviews that on youtube have done extremely well i've taken them off my regular not sam youtube channel and moved it all to its own channel so us wrestling fans can engage right there and talk about everything we need. YouTube.com slash NotSamWrestling, the only place on YouTube where you're going to find every single podcast, you're going to find all of the interviews on video, and you're going to find snippets and hot takes from the state of wrestling also on video at YouTube.com slash NotSamWrestling. So if you're listening to this Rob Bartlett interview and you go, I wonder what Rob Bartlett looks like right now. I wonder what it looks like when he's talking. Go ahead and go over to youtube.com slash not sam wrestling because pretty soon you'll be able to see it. So, um what were your what were some of your favorite moments doing that show? There were two shows that I did that were really for me. Mm -hmm. And they, they were both at at the Mid Hudson Civic Center. You like the Poughkeepsie shows. I just two Poughkeepsie shows stand out in my mind. Uh -huh. um, one was Vince and Randy uh -huh. were getting an award because you know obviously you people wrestling fans know what incredible charity work that organization does. They do so much charity work for kids, basically kids charities. You know, John Cena has set the record for the most Make a wishes. Really? Yeah. yeah it doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things that Vince was always, you know, requires them to do is to do all these community service things for kids' charities. Mm -hmm. So they were getting an award. And so they weren't going to be at the show. 
So instead, it was Gorilla Monsoon, mm-hmm. Bobby the Brain, and me. Again, by the way, Gorilla Monsoon mm-hmm. and Bobby the Brain Heenan is, I would say, probably to me, the greatest wrestling commentary duo of all time. They, they worked like... Lucy and Ethel, they were they were so attuned to each other. And then you got to sit there and figure out how your chemistry fits in. So what I decided to do was I was going to imitate Vince. I was going to pretend I was Vince as though Vince was really there. And you decided that on your own? I decided it on my own <laughs> and didn't pass it by Vince. Because you were an impressionist by trade. I mean, you did right. impressions on the radio right. and stuff, so you knew how right. to do long form. Right. Um, impressions, but you did not ask Vince. No. Um, <laughs> so I asked the makeup girl, I said, can you make me, you know, look kind of like Vince? Mm-hmm. She said, yeah. So she did you know, the big lips thing and she did some shading. And I But like a- it never came up in the production meeting. You didn't let any producers know. You just... Well, I let Bobby and and, and of course, know, obviously, but no one else really knew. Okay, and I got a tuxedo and I stuffed <laughs> stuff in the shoulders, right? Literally, had the big shoulder, the pad. huge shoulder pads, and um, I I did Vince the whole show. <laughs> what a maneuver! Well, basically, I wasn't really speaking. <laughs> I was just kind of doing like. Monday night raw. That's all I did all night, the whole show. And and this is this is several weeks in at this point, so you know. Okay, it was towards the end. I could see the writing on the wall. Right, so it's time to have some fun with this. I go backstage after the show. By the way, how did first of all when you tell Gorilla and Bobby that I'm going to go and do Vince the whole show. Do they just go, okay, cool, or do they say, yeah, yeah. all right, do your thing. But Bobby said, you got balls. (laughs) You got balls, my friend, because apparently everyone was afraid to make fun of Vince. Well, he's the boss. I don't know if you would. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) but to me, I've been so used to making fun of Imus that it was like it seemed like a natural. Right. Which is funny because Imus does have that same sort of boss energy where where people are afraid of Imus. Right. People are afraid of Vince, but you will make fun of both of them. Both of them. Um, so I just, and get cursed out by both of them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's a picture, I think, on the internet somewhere of, mm-hmm. of the three of us. Um, and so the next week, um, we're back at the Manhattan Center. Well, did anybody say anything to you after the show? The camera crew, all the crew went crazy. Loved it. Loved it. Because right. no one had ever really made fun of Vince before. Right. They were just, they were crying laughing. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the crowd thought, but they just... I remember as a kid wondering, like, even having the knowledge, right? It, I mean, at the, you know, nine, ten years old, having the knowledge of, I know Vince is running things. Like, I kind mm-hmm. of get wrestling by now. I, I, I remember thinking, why would they have Rob Bartlett do that? Why would Vince have Rob Bartlett do that? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> why would they do that? <laughs> and, I mean, to find out later that it's just because... You thought it'd be fun. I thought it'd be fun. Is the greatest thing in the world. I mean, it was so because you wanted to amuse yourself. Oh yeah, basically yes. that's just, I'm going to amuse myself. It was it was clear <laughs> that what I was doing wasn't working, so I was right. kind of grasping at straws at that point, mm-hmm. and that was one of the straws I grasped. Right. So then the following week, we're back in the Manhattan Center, mm-hmm. we're in the production meeting. Vince does not look at me, doesn't say a word. But he hasn't called you throughout the week. No. Okay. No. 
So you, when he does it, when you don't talk to anybody really about it, you do it. You know, Bobby's tells you, you have balls. Mm-hmm. Gorilla's like, all right, mm-hmm. do what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Camera crew's laughing. Mm-hmm. Then you leave and go about your regular life, your other radio show. Do you think to yourself, I'm in trouble? Or, or do you think to yourself, that was Monday and I've kind of forgotten about it? No, I, I actually thought it was entertaining. I thought it was funny. You know, Vince the, liked when I made fun of his peach exactly. suit. He's gonna, yes. the, 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 you know, the crew was laughing. Everyone, you know, Bobby was laughing. Gorilla was laughing. Everyone was laughing. So. Yeah. Um, so we have the production meeting mm-hmm. and Vince is not looking at me. He's not saying a word mm-hmm. and he just says, I make sure everyone's in there. Very solemn. Mm-hmm. Everyone came in. I mean, just everyone. Like the guy who was swept up mm-hmm. afterwards. I hit the whole room was packed. Mm-hmm. And he turned to me and he went, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Uh-huh. It was just a joke. Uh-huh. For a second, I was like, "You can't fire me because I'm going to quit." <laughs> but it was it was really funny. So he got me back, right, by not telling me that they were going to be in um, the Mid Hudson Civic Center, and so I showed up uh-huh. at the Manhattan's <laughs> by yourself. There, well, there's a crew there. Uh-huh. But there was no audience. There right. were no fans. There was no wrestlers. It was just me and the camera crew. Right. And they went live. Uh-huh. And Vince didn't, I guess, like they patched me in uh-huh. of me standing in the stands uh-huh. completely empty. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't tell me they were going to Mid Hudson Center. Hey, but so, he just threw to you. Yeah. He just threw to me. And I was standing there. Um, Vince? <laughs> Where are we supposed to be at the Manhattan Center? Just, which is really, really funny. I mean, that's Vince. Could you you have to respect the fact that he will go that far to be like, okay, we're joking around now, huh? Yeah. And like, yeah. like that he will go that he will he will spend company money, mm-hmm. production value, mm-hmm. live television time. Mm-hmm. To, to get a, you back. To, to a, a remote shot of just me standing in the bleachers with nobody in them. <laughs> Look at him by himself. Exactly. And, he, you know, they were just having a field day. So. That's incredible. It was it was pretty funny. Yeah. I in retrospect. And I would think, so do you think on some level he enjoyed that you, not that he enjoyed the parody, but he was like, do you think he respected you for it and then wanted to hit you back? Because he could have just. Gotten mad and fired you. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I got to say, mm-hmm. he really wanted to stick with it. I don't know why. I guess he thought maybe I would get better or, mm-hmm. or I'd latch on to something that would work. Right. Well, the next time we were in, I was in Civic Center, I guess it was, maybe we do two, I think we might have done two in a row from there. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no. They, 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 anyway, there was another one. And I, so this would have been the third time there in Poughkeepsie because the second time they were in Poughkeepsie, they didn't tell you they were in Poughkeepsie. Right. So I guess it was it was one of the last shows I did. Yes. If not the, the last. But I think it was just one of the last shows. And, um, you know, production meeting, Vince goes, um, Lona Vashon and Sensational Sherry are going to uh, come out. You're going to interview them. I said, okay. That sounds great. But uh, they're going to get into a little fight, and uh, they're going to tear your clothes off. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, they're, they're gonna tear your clothes off. I said, "Well, I don't have any break." No, just what you're wearing is fine. So I had like this vest on. I had you thought shirt. you're thinking like I don't have any like you know fake wrestling clothes that will just tear off. Right. Like I don't have stunt clothes. Right. Exactly. He's like, "Don't worry about it." So, okay, you know, I'm game. Whatever. Mm-hmm. So, 
I'm interviewing Sensational Sherry and Luna Vachon, I guess, comes out of the dressing room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, the two of them were just amazing. Mm -hmm. and They were incredible. They get into it. Mm -hmm. Like, really get into it. I remember the brawl. And I am ostensibly trying to break them up. Right. And they both, mm -hmm. I think, if I remember, grab a hold of my vest and my shirt. Mm -hmm. And they yank it clean off. Me. <laughs> so I'm just wearing my T-shirt underneath. And I run from where they're to, to the, back to the dressing room. Yeah. So, you know, staggering. Because, you know, because after they pulled the shirt off me, I fell over like I got hit. And, right. You, know. you got to sell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to sell. So they went to commercial. Uh -huh. And I said to the makeup lady, I said, can you, can you make me look like I've got, just had the shit beat out of me? <laughs> She goes, yeah. So she gives me a black eye. She gives me a bloody lip. She puts a bump on me. She tears the T-shirt. Mm -hmm. And I came out like I was dazed after we came back from commercial and did the rest of the show <laughs> like, that. like that with the headset on with the microphone. <laughs> Just, uh, well, did you say something, Viz? <laughs> Is that the phone? <laughs> Just, and that was, uh, that was my second favorite. That's great. It was a lot of fun. That's great. So how do you find out that, uh, did you like any of the, like, as you're watching it, did you grow an affinity for any of the wrestlers or anything? I mean, that was like, Shawn Michaels was just starting to mm -hmm. ascend and make a name for himself. The mm -hmm. Undertaker was Undertaker would, there at the time. and and Who I gotta say, yeah, was the most uh -huh. like his character out of the ring than any of them. That makes me so happy. He would spend all the time before his matches mm -hmm. in a corner of a room, mm -hmm. in a squatting position, mm -hmm. until it was time for him to wrestle. Completely, complete, you know, total costume, complete quiet. Not saying a word. So you're sitting there going like, I wonder what The Undertaker's like in real life. And you go, oh, okay. he's, he's The Undertaker. He's Undertaker. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I, I liked all the wrestlers, really. I mean... Did you start to enjoy the sport itself? Like, did you start to enjoy the show, or yeah, was it well, I, always it, from the context of just it, I enjoy it as a performer myself? Yeah, yeah. I, but I also was really—I mean, I really respected them mm -hmm. because of what they put their bodies through. I yeah. saw—I mean, there was one match we did at the Manhattan Center. Don't remember who it was, but it lasted for three segments. We'd go to commercial. We came back. It was still on. Was it Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair? Might have been. And Vince, you know, in the breaks would say, you have no idea how hard this is. I said, no, I have. It's clear to me. He said that this is as good as it gets. These are the, these are the pros. Oh, he's, con he's like, yeah. They're just telling me on the side, not, yeah. not on the air. Yeah, of course. And it was so impressive. Yeah. Ric Flair was also, an, a, called me sir. I mean, <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing, these guys. It's one of the greatest of all time. It's like Bam Bam Bigelow mm -hmm. would show up. Uh, with his wife and I have four babies with him, <laughs> and a tattoo on his bald head. Yes, and uh, we'd do. How are you? Okay, need anything? Just they could not be nicer. Yeah, the Steiner brothers. Mm -hmm. One one of them, I forget which one it was, did give me a, a, a an Adam's apple pinch, <laughs> which I still think I still feel right, um, right as a joke. You know, he <laughs> sat on my lap and then did that. And, uh huh. I guess I said something about them the previous week or something like that, and that was their way of. That's great. Let me know. It was so. How do you find out that uh, 
the dream is over. That there is no more room I, for Rob Bartlett on Monday Night Raw. That you are now the man in drag trying to get into the building. Well, I quit. I, you did. I resigned. I I called up Kevin Dunn, mm-hmm. who was the stage manager, director. He's still there. Is he still there? I mean, another great guy. Genius too, by the he way. Want, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, he he was really all for me doing that Saturday Night Live idea. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had a couple sketches where remember there was a car commercial where they rolled a. Um, uh, uh, ball bearing mm-hmm. across the car and it went down a little. It was supposed to show the lines of the car, whatever it was like that. So I did one with, with wrote it for Yokozuna, and it was just gonna be a ball bearing going all the way around his body and then <laughs> dropping down into the back of his little diaper there. Uh-huh. And he would stand up, and then I would jump on his back and he would go. So it was uh-huh. like the 1993 Yokozuna, right? <laughs> <laughs> From Honda, whatever it was. Um, so it was stuff like that. And, and Kevin really, really wanted that to happen. He was yeah. really into the idea of doing that kind of programming as well. And uh, he came, he tr- tried to convince me to stay. He said, to him, Really, man, because if we want to do all this other stuff, I said, You know, Kevin, I, I've had a great time and I could not ask for better people to work with and to be a part of, but I really don't think I'm helping the show. I, I think that what it is that I do doesn't gel. Um, to the point where I think that it would it would make the show better. I'm not making the show better. And if so, you got to a point where you felt like I'm just not. This isn't for. I'm not great at this. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. I just. I mean, I thought, I'm an idiot that I was. I thought, oh, I just remembered. <laughs> Tell me. Got to go to Madison Square Garden, one of the matches. I forget what it was. But my son and his friends, we all got to go backstage. They got to hold the belt. We had our little wrestlers. Well, our seats are two rows from the ceiling. <laughs> and this is while you're working there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and because Vince says... Was this before or after the impression? After. I think it was after. Okay. All right. But go on. Vince says, um, we're going to uh, introduce you, and you're going to come down into the ring, and you're going to interview Giant Gonzalez. okay. But I come down mm-hmm. after... You know, seeing him down there, because I saw where we were sitting, the idea was they were going to hit me with a spotlight and watch me do the walk of shame all the way down <laughs> to the ring. Which is brilliant. It's really brilliant. But I, I kind of diffused that situation. Uh-huh. So I um, I go into the, the ring to, uh, I think it was, was it Jimmy Hart who... Harvey him? Whippleman. Harvey Whippleman managed yes. him. Right, 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 right. Um, and Giant Gonzalez was there. And he was a giant. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hair wasn't real, by the way. It was a costume. And, <laughs> and I didn't even know he was wearing a costume. He didn't speak. It was just Harvey. Uh-huh. Harvey was in, and they were making fun of New York. Of course. And so I was, I was defending New York because the booze I got entering <laughs> the ring. And you're the, you're the baby face. I was the baby face. Uh, they... Could not boo me. I mean, I was looking for stuff to be thrown. I mean, that's how bad it was. Now, did you enjoy that or did you not enjoy it? Getting booed enjoy, like that? I enjoyed it. I, just, I was more concerned that my son and his friends were going to be upset by it. Right, because you know? they're young, yeah. You know, And so the idea was is I was going to basically m- try to be menacing to try and Gonzalez, which is just... And he grabbed me on the shoulder and did like a Spock pinch kind of a thing. Sure. And forced me to my knees. Mm-hmm. And then I escaped, and I, I got out of the ring and ran back backstage. And, mm-hmm. then, uh, and then the boys came down. We just hung out down 
in the in the dressing rooms Virgil and all those guys. Virgil. Um <laughs> Hey, were you doing were you doing uh you were doing it when Hogan came back or no? Yes. Yeah. I was at the show when he came back. He was promoting either Mr. Nanny or one of those movies he had done. Yeah. I think it was were... the one Shep Ramsey where he played the Suburban Commando. Yeah. Whatever it was. He he had gone off to do movies. And so he And they were back. just getting ready for his WrestleMania return too. Right. Right. I think that, that was gonna be the thing. They were gonna be out in Vegas. Yes. But that would have been right. I mean, if you're there for thirteen weeks, that puts you you'd leave right before WrestleMania. I think so. In my head, I thought I had been there and was upset well, maybe, I didn't go. Maybe you did. January, February, March, April. F- yeah, you did four months or so. Yeah. So that makes sense that you'd yeah, be, you would be there. Yeah, towards the end would yeah. be WrestleMania. Right. Yeah. And uh, I remember not going and being upset that I wasn't going. Yeah, because that's when they brought out Jim Ross. Right. And they had him and Macho and Bobby do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, in hindsight. Makes sense. I love you. But I sucked. I'm really glad you did not do the commentary for WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean now although that's... it would have been fun to have you like uh, do something wacky with a camel or something, or, or you know, do some kind of skit on WrestleMania. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the brand, man. The WrestleMania is yeah, that's the Christmas of the year. That's, I mean, and and WrestleMania is what's going to be forever. Right. Right. All right. Yeah. But my son, who's 34 now, mm-hmm. um, still mm-hmm. wrestling fan, and every year for WrestleMania has a party at a at a at a bar in Brooklyn near where he and his wife live, and they they invite people. He uh, does an improv musical improv group. He invites them all, and they they watch WrestleMania. He's still yeah into it, you know. And then he drops in conversation every once in a while, you know. At least that's what I think. I'm hoping. Well, yeah. I mean, I think Rob Bartlett is the name that you can figure out. Like, how big of a fan are you? Oh, I've been watching forever. Oh, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> What does Rob? But what what does the name Rob Bartlett mean to you? Yeah. Like that's where it's like right. if, if if that name if you can start talking about the Rob Bartlett era of Monday Night Raw, <laughs> we got Bartlett something to talk era. about. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't? Did you know what a big deal it was that Hogan was coming back to do that WrestleMania match, or were you kind of just kind of doing your thing? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I knew it was a yeah. huge deal. I, I knew it was a huge deal because he was the most visible guy. I mean, he was the king mm-hmm. while he was there. Um, also another lovely guy. You what know? did your what did your kids your kid think of you on Monday Night Raw? Like I'm assuming he would watch Raw. Mm-hmm. When you'd be home on Tuesday after the radio show, mm-hmm. would he be like over the moon thinking it was the coolest thing ever? Would he be Um I think he kind of took it in stride because he'd seen me on stage. Seen you heard you on the radio. Heard me on the radio, saw me do stand up. So he knew this is what you do. This is what I do. Yeah, uh, I mean, he liked the idea of being able to meet the wrestlers and yeah. having a little inside, you know, glance at everything. And but I, you know, he kind of took it in stride. And now, you know, I think he's just embarrassed <laughs> when your name comes really, up on those really embarrassed. <laughs> worst commentator list. That's right. I mean, ultimately, though, you're obviously glad that you did it. Was there ever any regret? No. About leaving, or you knew no. that's the right call? No, I, I, it was the right call to make. Because like I said, I wasn't helping it. I wasn't making it better. What did I miss think of your wrestling stuff? He hated it. He did? He hated it. He was all excited uh-huh. for it. And then the day after the opening, um, he just went on and on about how awful I was. And he had clips. Did he do it on the air? Yeah. And he just destroyed you? Destroyed me. And, and, and he played the clips and just talked about how bad you were. <laughs> that's great. And every week, every week he'd say, you've got to leave. 
God, you're awful. I mean, they did plug. It's that's so great. That's that's how you know Imus had integrity because they would plug the Imus show. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't worth the plug because no. he thought it was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it was just. I love that he would play clips. And that probably didn't help you either. You're like, not only do I not think I'm helping the show, but I don't need to get made fun of every Tuesday oh, morning yeah. by <laughs> I'm inside. That's it's just awful. I mean, it was really. I mean, I kept saying, well, why, if you think it's so awful, why do you keep watching every week? Yeah. Well, so I can get some shit to fuck you over with. <laughs> That's great. Um,. Is there anything you would have changed about your time over those 13 weeks? Yeah. Any, or anything you wish you had tried? I mean, I wish I'd tried something that would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to say. That would be the, the thing that I would, if I had any you know, way of going back, I mm -hmm. would try to. I probably would have done more research. Right. I, I would have familiarized myself with the product more mm -hmm. so I would know where to go, where not to go. Did you watch it all after? No. You were like, I'm. That's out of yeah. my life. Did you have you maintained communications with anybody from WWE, um, or did you for after you left? No. Yep. No. It was no. just thirteen no. weeks of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And then isn't that an odd thing that for thirteen weeks you were part of that traveling circus, and then it was just. It's, I mean, it's, 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 there's got to be a book in it or something because I mean, I yeah, I think so. It was, it was. I just don't remember a lot of it. That's the problem. I think I've blocked out so much of that <laughs> in um, What was Yokozuna like? Didn't speak much. Yeah, didn't speak much. Um, kept to himself mm -hmm. because you, you couldn't really fit in a room with him <laughs> sure. and many other people. Sure. Um, like I said, they were all really great people. I mean. Did you have visions of, of, when you say you wanted to be at WrestleMania, did you have visions of expanding your role, not just in terms of doing like a sketch show, but being a WWE personality who goes to the pay-per-views and yeah. goes on tour? And That's what I was hoping. Yeah. You know, I, I already kind of figured out what my merchandise was going to be. Yeah. You know, because I, I was wearing sunglasses, I think, and so I was going to yes. make Rob sunglasses with it. My, the O would be between the two. You know, stupid shit like that. Right. And what the action figure is going to look like. What the action figure was going to look like. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would check out the video games to see if I was in them, which I wasn't. No, you were not. Um, <laughs> no. Um, but I got to see Jim Ross mm -hmm. not too long ago. He was doing um, a show with Guns. Guns Guzman was interviewing him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was in. And uh, I went to see him. Did he know, remember just, you? Yeah. Yeah. What did he say? Oh, it's just good to see you. Yeah. How's it going? Yeah. You know, he was promoting a book, I think, that he'd written. Yeah. Um, but, you know, great. They, they brought him back. I'm, I'm responsible for his resurgence, his career. <laughs> Jumpstart. He can thank me. Yeah. That's one of those great things where, like, you know, if you follow someone who's beloved, it's an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. But if you follow Rob Bartlett, you'll probably do all right, right? <laughs> In the commentary booth, anyway. Because <laughs> you can't be worse. Nobody's going to sit there and be like, I miss the old guy. No, no. No one's going to say, gee, I wonder, could they get that fat guy back? Yeah. That would be great. I mean, I feel like, Rob, you are one of those people who benefits immensely from the WWE Network being a thing. People can go back. That's right. And, and somehow, you know, you would think 13 episodes of TV, it was those first 13 weeks. It was 1993. We'll do them. If it doesn't work, nobody will ever see it again. Mm -hmm. WWE Network launches a few years ago, and now... Your 13 weeks has been immortalized, and it will be there my, forever. My son subscribed, and he called me the next day. He said, 
I saw you last night. I said, where? I said, oh, on Raw. I said, what? Oh, you know, the they have their own network now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have all episodes. They have every episode all of Raw. Them. All of them. Mm-hmm. I said, really? Yeah. Do they have the they have the match at Madison Square Garden that I was? <laughs> if they asked you to come back to do something weird for like a reunion thing or anything, you would, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I said, I have fond memories of it. Yeah. You know, because the people were great, and it was it was like being in a circus for thirteen weeks. It really was. Wouldn't it be great if all these years later, almost thirty years later, you go back and Vince is like, "Okay, I got this idea. We're gonna do the show. We're gonna be in the Barclays Center." You're going to be at the Manhattan Center by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, I guess the more things change, right? That's right. That's right. I'd be disappointed if it didn't go that way. (laughs) Well, Rob, uh, I'm glad we finally, I've I've wanted to spend time with you and just talking about this topic because I think it's absolutely fascinating. We've got to do more. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're you're a pretty well versed in this world i have to say I mean, i'm pretty impressed it's been my life for a long time and and you i need you to keep me up to date if any memories come flooding back because i feel like just in this conversation memories started to come flooding yeah, back yeah I may, I may have to look get the as memories start f- and, and see some of them again force myself to you know what we should do at some point what? you come to the house we get into my home studio i start putting on some old episodes and you walk me through what was going on. I did a watch along on Sean Mooney's podcast. I love it of the of the first show. I love it. Did it? Did show. stuff already start come flooding back? And just watching that first show, mm, the ones that I would allow. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that night more than you know, and that of course the the Sherry one and and Luna one and the the one where I did Vince. Those are the ones that stick out. Yeah. Um, the other ones were just. One one week was more painful than the next. It was just, <laughs> I was just awful. But you well, know. I'm glad you escaped it. But I'm also glad that it will last forever. Right. And uh, one day you will pass on, and at your funeral somebody will go. You know, he was on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> <laughs> you know, never. Every never once in a while, leave. when I do a stand-up show, mm-hmm. somebody in the audience will come up to me afterwards and say, "I used to watch you on Raw." <laughs> what? Yeah, I used to watch you on Raw. Yeah. I mean, look. You were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the producers, a lot of the camera people, a lot. there are a lot of people there that have been there. Forever. Forever. Yeah. So I would imagine the next time I see some people, if I be... go, you know who I talk to, they probably remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, oh. there was one night where he dressed up as Vince. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you. At some point, we'll watch some episodes. Do you want to come to see the show on the 28th? The 28th? Yeah. December 28th? Yeah. In Waterbury, Connecticut? Yeah. Yeah, I do want to come see that. Um, I'll get your tickets. That's incredible. Rob Bartlett's Holiday Extravaganza. Seven Angels Theater in Waterbury, Connecticut. It's going to be great. I've seen you before. You know I love the shows that you put on. You can also follow Rob Bartlett at the Robbio on Twitter. And see, because there are going to be some people who just watch wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. That go, where'd you find Rob Bartlett? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. He's been pretty active in show business for the entire time. <laughs> I, I get emails every once in a while from people saying, you know, they're impressed that I write back <laughs> and, and admit freely how fucking awful I was. <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you, Rob Thank Bartlett. Thank you, Sam You're Roberts. You're the greatest. You're a doll. Give my love to Jess. I will.
Thank you to Rob Bartlett. Before we get to the state of wrestling, know that there is more content to be had all the time, and you can get the content first. If you're a Not Sam Shill at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Patreon.com slash notsamwrestling is the only spot in the world where you are going to be able to get this podcast first and ad-free every single week. You're going to be able to get bonus shows, including review shows and watch-alongs that we do. You're going to get videos first. You're going to have opportunity for exclusive merchandise, and I am giving away a code for Wrestle Kingdom 14 thanks to our pals at fight.tv only on the Patreon page at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Plus, every Not Sam show, we have four different tiers. But at four bucks a month, that's less than $1 a week, you can sign up as a money mark level Not Sam show. You get complete access to early shows and you get complete access to our Discord room. Go on Patreon, sign up for it just for access to the Discord room where fans like you are talking about wrestling 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and pretty often, I'm in there too. Become a Not Sam shill today at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yeah, it is. State of Wrestling time. And for those of you that didn't hear the ad uh, before this, no, to all the Patreon people. Fight TV has supplied us with a code for Wrestle Kingdom 14. Goes down, uh, I think, January 4th, 5th, and 6th, the whole three day pass. I'm going to go over to the Patreon page uh, on Tuesday. Sometime on Tuesday, I'm going to make a post at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. It's going to be only open to people on Patreon, obviously. And I'm just going to say Wrestle Kingdom 14 code. And I'm going to give you the code and instructions on how to use that code. The first person that cashes in the code gets to use it. Okay? So if you want to sign up for Patreon and be involved in that contest, go ahead. If you don't, then the people who are already on Patreon, you guys have the heads up. Tuesday, at some point during that day, I will post. I will write a post that says Wrestle Kingdom 14 code. And in the post, which will only be unlockable if you're uh, not Sam Shill, you will get the code and instructions on how to cash it in uh, so that you can immediately order the pay-per-view on the house on me. Uh, and that'll be that. It'll be great. You'll enjoy it. Let me know when you do. That's some of the benefits to being a shill. And if you want more of those benefits, I'll talk to the good folks at Fight, and we'll keep, uh, we'll keep it up. Hey, it's been a big week uh, for uh, wrestling. Obviously, there's less wrestling this week going forward. We got Raw and SmackDown but they're both pre-taped episodes. I have not read any spoilers at all. Um, you know, I think that the fact that they were taping two episodes of Raw on um, last Monday is probably the explanation as to why a week ago we sat there and we watched a gauntlet match for an hour, primarily comprised of people that generally lose on Monday Night Raw that didn't even have a finish at the end of it. I, I, I kind of couldn't believe... My eyes. And then we find out that this week, look, I'm excited to see Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles, but I don't know why I spent that hour watching that wrestling program. I don't think it is enough to have good wrestling matches. I think having good wrestling matches is a must, but I think the good wrestling matches must have real consequences. They must have stories. They must have reasons for being. And that works. That's not just pro wrestling. I mean, in MMA, the biggest UFC fights 
are not the ones where it's just, okay, these are two great MMA fighters and they're going to have, they're well matched and they're going to have a great fight. The biggest fights, the most successful fights are Conor McGregor fights. They were Ronda Rousey fights. They were fights where you had real star power and where you had people that were creating conflict that made it so you wanted to see what was going to happen here. Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. Boxer versus MMA. There was nothing on paper that said that that fight should have been compelling. There is nothing on paper that would tell you that Conor McGregor has any shot in a boxing match against Floyd Mayweather, one of the most dominant boxers of all time. However... The press conferences leading up to it, the smack talk going back and forth the whole time, Conor McGregor stealing Floyd Mayweather's backpack on the middle of a stage, that is what drew people to that fight. Because there was a story. I don't care about boxing. I care somewhat about MMA, but not that much. However, I care about these two people that I've watched have this conflict. I care about Floyd Mayweather and I care about Conor McGregor as human beings and I want to see which one of those two human beings comes out on top in this rivalry. I don't care if it's fixed. I don't care if it's fake. I don't care if they're, you know, just using it for hype. Hype works. I like hype. I get hyped up. That's why it's called hype. And I think that that uh, all wrestling needs more of that. I think having it more athletically inclined is a good thing. I think that the perception that people have of watching professional fights has changed as boxing has gotten so much bigger and MMA has just become huge. However, I think at the end of the day, still what wrestling has over both of those organizations, both of those sports, is wrestling has the ability to create stars and manipulate the wins and losses so that you can care about these stories, that you're at the end of the day tuning in to see these stories that are going to be settled in this art form known as professional wrestling. Uh, but I think the stories have to matter, and I think we have to have faith that if we're going to watch an hour-long gauntlet match, like it's the opposite, you know? When Kofi Kingston had an hour-long gauntlet match, it made him. It created a star out of Kofi Kingston. The end of the gauntlet match on Raw when Humberto Carrillo was there, it was almost like that could have been his moment to be made, but he, nobody was made because of it. Everybody was like, why did we do this? And there is no real answer. Why do we do this? Because we got to tape two shows tonight. Um, so yeah, there was that. I still think the Seth Rollins stuff has been really good on Raw. I, the evolution of the Seth Rollins character, I think, is uh, being done right, uh, being done well, and being done interestingly. Uh, I think it's Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles on Raw tonight, unless I'm mistaken. But that'll be interesting because it's two heels. You know, I, I think that it'll be good for elevating the United States Championship while they don't have a universal or, or a WWE champion that's on television. But still interesting. Interesting matchup, if that is the matchup. I could be wrong. Um, so a couple of things that had uh, everybody talking about pro wrestling this week. Uh, first of all, so fake punches has been a big thing in the wrestling world. It's been the biggest thing on wrestling Twitter for sure. Fake punches. Here's my take on uh, very, very obvious fake punches when it looks like you're supposed to be punching a guy in the head but you're clearly not only pulling your punches but not getting anywhere near his head just punching the mat I think that yes if you're a professional wrestler professional wrestler on a national television network you know one of the top two wrestling organizations in the world you have to be professional enough that that your stuff looks tight you can't allow that to happen it looks ridiculous But 
I also think that you can't just sit there and blame one person for it. I think that there are a lot of people. You, you, wrestling shows have many, many different camera angles. Big wrestling shows, many different camera angles. Even independent wrestling shows have at least like two or three different camera angles. All these shows have different camera angles. And there's somebody that is controlling those camera angles. And there's somebody that's controlling those cameras. And there's somebody that's controlling the person that's controlling the camera angles. And there's all these people working behind the scenes. The purpose of having a huge behind-the-scenes staff in any wrestling organization is to make it so that the product comes across uh, as good as possible on television. It's not about the live audience. It's about the television audience. So I would say that if you have a, 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 a moment of seeing fake punches go down on television that are just really obvious and, and, and catastrophically bad, and I don't mean catastrophically bad, but realistically, you know, when you see that happen, you know, oh my God, inexcusably bad, not catastrophically bad. The word I'm looking for is inexcusably. When you have something like that happening, that's inexcusably bad and obvious. It's not just the competitors. It's the person who's pointing the camera at them and saying, hey, everybody, look at this. And the person that's controlling which camera everybody's looking at going like, yeah, that seems like a good camera. You know, there's, there's a whole, the producers and the directors have to be talked to too about letting that mistake be shown to everybody. So that I think is the one element that hasn't been brought up enough when we talk about this. But also, you know, I, I, I think that now that there's two promotions and there's a war going on, I think that the people who are on one side or the other are taking delight in something bad happening to one side or something bad happening to the other side, which I'm fine with. I love, I love a rivalry. I love a war. So I think that that's part of it. I don't. I think that you have to take it into consideration. I don't think it excuses anything, but I think you definitely have to take that part into consideration. Um, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about on SmackDown. You know, uh, coming off of TLC, The Miz lost to Bray Wyatt, who broke into his house. And did things that were violating to his wife and his daughter. Bray Wyatt violated the Miz's family. And the Miz lost to him. The Miz came out on SmackDown this week and he told Daniel Bryan how upset he still was with Bray Wyatt. I cannot believe that a man is defending his family while wearing a red leather trench coat with little gold ringlets all over it. And no pants. Miz's outfit does not look like a man who is hell-bent on getting revenge for his family. Miz's outfit looks like a guy who is a Hollywood douchebag, which he was at one point. But now that he's not a Hollywood douchebag, I can't sit there and go, this man clearly wants to defend his family. Because I say to myself, if he really wanted to defend his family... Why would he be wearing that ridiculous jacket? So I would say that The Miz, while he's trying to defend his family, should maybe come to the ring without the jacket on. Props to The Miz. Somebody did tap out to his figure four leg lock. I think that was a good thing. But I thought this week specifically, SmackDown was, was pretty good, especially for a show that's leading into a holiday week. I thought it was a good show. And I like that we know that going in this Friday, we've got a triple threat match with the winner going on to face Bray Wyatt at Royal Rumble. See, like, it's so much better 
to have a triple threat match uh, where the winner is going to go on to the Royal Rumble to face Bray Wyatt than it is to just have a triple threat match for the sake of having a triple threat match. You know what I mean? Um, I would think that Daniel Bryan is going to win the triple threat match. I would hope that Daniel Bryan is going to win the triple threat match, but who knows? Maybe The Miz will put his red leather coat back on and go out there to defend his family again. I don't know. Uh, I like Daniel Bryan's promo a lot. I, I love the idea of Daniel Bryan uh, differentiating between the superstar and the brand Daniel Bryan and the man Daniel Bryan, the person Daniel Bryan. I love the idea. It's just such a good way to kind of eliminate because he was so good at being a heel for as long as he was a heel. He's been so good at it, you know, with the with the the, the the Planets Champion stuff. All that stuff was so good and believable. It was almost like, how do you come out of that? But the idea that he's now acknowledged that that is a a, a brand. It's it's so Daniel Bryan has figured out a way to get on television and come as close to saying I'm not playing a character anymore as any superstar has without taking away an ounce of credibility from any storyline. You can't go on TV and go, well, I was playing a character before as a bad guy, but now I'm being serious because it makes it so that everybody else that's playing a bad guy is not going to be taken seriously. It makes it so that the minute you're out of this storyline and onto the next one, you're not going to be taken seriously. You just can't do it. So how do you get that message across? How do you get the message across that, I'm not the character Daniel Bryan. I'm the man Daniel Bryan without rubbing our face in the fact that there's a character and Bryan did it. The brand Daniel Bryan. And I, I just feel like that's such a relevant way to do it because there are so many people that consider themselves a brand or this is my personal brand. Everybody that's on Instagram, they have a brand. Everybody's on TikTok, like this is, this is off brand. This is on brand. And it's just a person. It's just a, a, a guy or a girl that's doing stuff, but the stuff that they're doing, they consider they develop a brand behind it. So Daniel Bryan, and he, he's right. I mean, the fact that we knew that the Planet Champion stuff was actually true, that he does care about the environment, and he, and he does think about that stuff all the time, means that we can give credence to this idea that he had fallen into the brand Daniel Bryan and forgotten who the person was, and now we can evolve out of that character into this new one. I think that the fact that he cut all his hair off is a big help because now there's no confusion anymore. Big Harry Daniel Bryan is a bad guy who's a brand. Shaved head American Dragon Daniel Bryan is a good guy who's a person. Boom. Simple, easy. I get it. It works. Fine. I think if you uh, haven't watched wrestling in a couple months and you turn on the TV and you see Daniel Bryan acting completely differently, the fact that he looks completely different with his haircut and his beard helps immensely. All of a sudden, things make more sense. It's just, I feel like, the way we react to stuff. So I think that the Daniel Bryan, uh, the new Daniel Bryan is very effective. Oh, and don't forget, I mentioned it at the top of the show, but uh, NXT, uh, as I think we know, uh, there are a bunch of uh, new matches that they're going to have. They've already announced, I think, at least one of them, the Roderick Strong uh, North American title open challenge. That's all going down Christmas night, December 25th, 8 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you watch that show because I will be on it. 
I will be on the Christmas night NXT show, and I will be on the New Year's Eve, the New Year's Day night NXT show, January 1st, 8 p.m. Eastern, USA Network. I'll be a part of that show as well as December 25th, 8 p.m. Eastern, USA Network. And I'm very excited not only to be a part of it, but for you guys to see that as well. As I was watching SmackDown this week, I started thinking a lot about Cesaro. Cesaro is such an interesting case because everywhere you go, you have somebody talking about Cesaro. There was an interview this week that Rhea Ripley did where she was talking about how helpful Cesaro was. Wrestlers love Cesaro. Corey Graves on his podcast. The first big hot take that he had was that Cesaro should be in the main event of every show. Every wrestler loves Cesaro. Every hardcore wrestling fan loves Cesaro. And yet there's never really been a storyline or a moment where you would consider him anywhere near a main event person. In fact, more recently, ever since the bar kind of disintegrated, the Cesaro and Sheamus tag team, he hasn't really been doing much. I think that his spot right now with Nakamura and Sami Zayn is a good one because at least there's something, right? At least there's something there. And I was sitting there going like, okay, what can we do with Cesaro? Cesaro has tremendous public respect from every wrestler imaginable. Every wrestler, WWE or not WWE, loves Cesaro. He's got fan support. Every fan acknowledges that Cesaro is one of the best wrestlers on the roster. He's got great matches. I think even if you ask people in WWE, they would tell you, you can always count on Cesaro to give you a fantastic match. Even if he takes a header into a pole and it caves his teeth in, he will finish the match and give you a hell of a match. No matter who he's working with, he'll give you a great match. So I'm going with all these elements, right? With all the respect he's got, with all the acknowledgement from the fans that he's great, and with, with the knowledge that we go into knowing his matches are going to be great. Why... Doesn't Cesaro matter more? Why isn't he a bigger deal? And I figured it out, and here's my my pitch. Here's what I think we should do with Cesaro going into 2020. I think we should keep Cesaro with Sami Zayn. I think Sami Zayn should be far away from Raw because he's a SmackDown guy. But I think as good as Sami Zayn is in the ring, he also happens to be incredible on the microphone. And I think he's been really great with Shinsuke Nakamura. I think he's added a lot to Shinsuke. And I think he can add a lot to Cesaro. So I think that Sami Zayn should start building a stable. And his stable should be these guys who can't, and without ever saying it, these guys who came from outside of WWE who have the ability to put on world-class matches that for some reason just haven't reached that next level in WWE. Because you could probably say the same thing about Sami Zayn himself. You know, Sami Zayn should see himself in the people that he represents. So you got Shinsuke Nakamura and you've got Cesaro. With Shinsuke, Shinsuke's doing great. I think Sami Zayn has increased his stock. The thing about Cesaro is that while he's got great matches, we have to do something where those great matches matter. As I said earlier, it is not enough to have great matches. You have to have great matches that have a consequence to them. You have to have great matches that have a hook to them. You have to have great matches that get us, the fans, excited. So here's what I would do. I would have Sami Zayn present Cesaro with the European Championship. I would have Sami Zayn dig it up. It would be, and now that they've changed the Intercontinental title to a new design, every title has a modern design to it now. 
tag team titles, the universal WWE, everything's got a modern design. So you bring back the European title, and you, you have the classic design on it. Of course, not the uh, scratch WWE logo, but the new WWE logo on the top of it. But besides that, everything is exactly the same. Green back, the whole thing. The D'Lo Brown European Championship title returns, and Sami Zayn just has it. And Sami Zayn presents the European title to Cesaro. Because who better in the WWE to represent Europe than Cesaro? And while I know that at first it would be like, well, you know, then the European title wouldn't mean anything. When they brought the uh, world championship in and Eric Bischoff just handed it to Triple H, the criticism was that now you've got this world champion on this show, but he's done nothing to earn it. Now, I never had a huge problem with that because Triple H was a bad guy. So the idea that the bad guy was holding on to this title that he never really earned to begin with, I don't think is that problematic. But I get the criticism. However, I think that you can build credibility for the title within its defenses. So once you have presented the European Championship to Cesaro, and it's just his, I think at first the questions can be raised, is this even a real recognized title? But that will go away when we start having Cesaro-caliber matches for the title. I think it's, it's, it's very important that Cesaro be presented with the European Championship, and then start defending it all the time, regularly. At least three times a month on SmackDown. You know, most weeks, Cesaro is defending the European Championship. On pay-per-views, not on the kickoff show. On the pay-per-view proper. Because I know people are like, well, there's more eyes on the kickoff show. There's more this. There's more that kickoff show. It's still on the network. It's still part of the pay-per-view. But it's not. Having the Cruiserweight Championship on the kickoff show every single pay-per-view did nothing for the Cruiserweight Championship. So you give Cesaro pay-per-view matches, you give him SmackDown matches, they're all singles matches, they're all European title matches, and what I believe will happen is that he will have matches that are so good that the European title will become that title. You know, every time somebody wins the Intercontinental Championship, people say like, oh, well, hopefully they'll bring the credibility back. Hopefully everybody's got this idealized vision of the Intercontinental Championship, which has probably existed from like, maybe like uh, 88, 89 to 92. I guess maybe a little earlier than that. Maybe back to like 86, 87 to 92. You know, I think from like WrestleMania 3... Until, until yeah, I, w- I would give it from WrestleMania 3 until Survivor Series 1992. That was the key era of the Intercontinental Championship. I started with the Macho Man Randy Savage Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania 3, and I end it with Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series 92. Shawn had the Intercontinental title at the time. But before that was SummerSlam 92, Bret Hart versus the Bulldog at Wembley, uh, and so on and so forth. There are a couple of moments in there. You know, I think the Honky Tonk Man's reign was probably not known as a great wrestling title reign, but more of a a, a gimmick for the Honky Tonk Man. It was successful for what it was, but it didn't really fit the narrative of the Intercontinental Championship as the Working Man's Championship. Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect, SummerSlam 91, is exactly what I'm talking about. Even Kerry Von Erich holding that title, the Kerry Von Erich Mr. Perfect matches, that's what I'm talking about. It's the title for the guy who was busting his ass the hardest and maybe would be able to get bumped up to WWE championship status. While I don't know that the European title is going to turn anybody into a main eventer, 
I think that the European title, if given to Cesaro and Cesaro were allowed to defend it on a regular basis, I think it would become the working man's title. I think that the European title, I think that there is room for a secondary title on SmackDown. And I say secondary, I think, I think there's room for another title. You could put another title on both shows if you wanted to. But I think the fact that The Fiend has the universal, the, the universal championship and that title is not defended other than on some pay-per-views, not even every pay-per-view, and the Universal Championship is not defended on, maybe defended on half, if that, probably defended on less than half of the pay-per-views, and the champion isn't even on television, I think you've got room to bring back that European title on SmackDown. Um, I think that what would end up happening is, at first we would take it not so seriously as kind of a heel giving a title away, but very, very quickly... What would make the title be taken seriously is the way Cesaro would defend it. I think if Cesaro were given the European Championship and started to defend it as if it were a real, legit title, and challengers started fighting for it as if it were a real, legit title, I think very quickly you could have a scenario where people were really looking forward to European Championship matches. And I think that Cesaro can base his entire identity around that European title. I think that the idea of Cesaro going back to being very European— and, and and making it so that Cesaro is the European title and the European title is Cesaro makes it an even bigger deal because now he's fighting so hard to keep that title because who is he without it? I think And, and I think you've also got potential to bring him over to the NXT UK and have him defend the title there. But realistically, I think that it would do wonders for Cesaro on SmackDown. I think it'd do wonders for Cesaro on pay-per-view. If you were given, handed, a European title from Sami Zayn and then went off and defended it against all challengers, I'd be there for every single title defense, and I think it would be just about the coolest thing that you could have for Cesaro in 2020. I'm here for it. I hope you are too, and I hope you'll be here on Thursday, the day after Christmas, right? December 26th, when we're back with another Thursday, not Sam Thursday, Thank you for joining us. We will see you Thursday here on Not Sam Wrestling. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling.